Okay, so this series is all about toxic relationships. And since we started talking about this, what I found out is that most of us have had a toxic relationship, and some of us are in toxic relationships, and some of us at least know that there's a chance that we might someday get into a toxic relationship. And it's a, it's a relationship that is you know, toxic. It's, it's poison. It's, it's sucking the life out of you. And it could be so many different people. It could be an absent parent. It could be an abusive spouse. Um, it could be a so-called friend who just keeps hurting you or keeps getting you in trouble. Um, it could be somebody that you really love, but they just keep lying or cheating or belittling or screaming or hitting, no matter how hard you try to make things right. A toxic relationship can be any relationship with someone who just seems determined to wreck your life. Um, they constantly suck the joy out of your life. And last week, uh, we gave these people a name. Do you remember what the name was? Toxic Joy Suckers. And remember last week I said we were gonna print up those t-shirts and sell them at Christmas time? We're not really doing that, people. Stop emailing me, okay? We're not selling those shirts. That, that, that was a joke. We're not. We are not selling those shirts, unless the demand is like really high. Uh, Jesus said he came to give us life, right? But not just any life. This is in John 10. He said, I came to give you rich life. I came to give you satisfying life. I came to give you abundant life. And these toxic joy suckers seem to be like determined to keep that from happening. So in a healthy relationship, if you and I have a healthy relationship, then I want what's best for you and you want what's best for me. That's a healthy relationship. But in a toxic relationship, I want what's best for me. And I don't care what's best for you. Or maybe even worse, I want what's not best for you. So we're not talking about great relationships with a little disagreement. We're not talking about fine relationships where things kind of got crossways, we had an argument or something like that. We're talking about ongoing, relentless, never-ending, life-sucking relationships where you've tried everything. You've tried talking, and you've tried begging, and you've tried praying that they'll change, and you've tried praying that they'll get hit by a truck, and you've just done everything in your power, but they just keep sucking the life out of your life with their violence or their deceit or their lies or their selfishness. And I, I pray, I hope you're not in one of these right now. But even if you're not, at some point in your life, you may have a toxic relationship. And that's bad news. But the good news is that God has given us a great story in the Bible that we can learn from. Uh, from some people that had a super toxic relationship. And so and the whole purpose of the stories in the Bible is not to make these people our heroes. The purpose of these stories in the Bible is so that we can see our story in their story and we can see what worked for them and what didn't work for them and where God fit into the picture and we can apply those lessons to our story. So this story we're looking at, a, a super toxic relationship, is between Saul and David. And the story really kind of starts in 1 Samuel like about 14, but it really gets going in 1 Samuel 16. And you guys probably know the story. We talked a little bit about it last week. But King Saul is the king of Israel, God's people, great king. He's doing great. And then he decides to disobey God. 
And when he does, God like pulls back, okay, you had your run, I'm done with you. And when that begins to happen, Saul is just, he's, he's losing power and he's frustrated and he's, I don't know, embarrassed. And the Bible says he's tormented by these evil spirits and he's super angry and he's super scared and he's super like jealous, especially of David because David is the one that God has called to replace him. And at some point it gets so bad and Saul gets so mad that he just kind of goes nuts and he just decides that he is going to end David's life. And Saul literally spends the rest of his life trying to kill David and trying to hunt him down. Um, he throws a spear at David. They, they work together, right? He throws a spear at David three separate times and the Bible tells us that his intent was to pin David to the wall. Three different times he did that. He tried to get David killed in a battle with the Philistines a couple of different times. Um, he instructed his servants, which he had hundreds of servants, and he instructed his servants to do whatever it took to kill David. He asked his son Jonathan to kill David. He eventually mobilized the whole army of Israel, took them off of battlefronts, pulled them out of their current jobs and said, you have only one job right now and that is to hunt down and kill David. He treated David like he was an enemy of Israel and he wasn't. David was not an enemy of Israel. He wasn't even an enemy of Saul. In fact, he was super loyal to Saul. He was super faithful to Saul and to God and to Israel and David just kept trying to make things right. And maybe you see this in your relationships that are toxic, right? David just keeps on trying to just, uh, maybe it'll still work out, maybe there's still hope, maybe there's a way this can work out. Uh, in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18, he, this is the thing with the spears, right? So, I mean, get this picture, David works for him. So he's, he's playing the harp, he's doing some paperwork, and Saul's at his desk, and David's at his desk, and one day Saul just like grabs a spear and just like, ah, and throws this spear at David. Has that ever happened to you? Like that's the worst, right? When you're in your office, you're working on your computer, and your boss comes in, and you think they wanna talk about an expense report or something, and instead it's ah, and they throw a spear. How many of you that's happened? A couple, Franklin, because he works a lot with his family, and I, that's understandable. Uh, but it's, it's um, not common for that to happen. You don't very seldom see the nurses stationed at the hospital and the head nurse ah, is coming and charging everybody on a construction site. You very seldom see the foreman going, ah, chasing down all the people that work for him and trying to kill him with a spear. So it's rare, but it actually happened here. David's at work and Saul just charges him for no reason and throws a spear and tries to pin him to the wall. And it, it almost never happens, but I, what's amazing is, well, chapter 18, verse 17, it's like a day after that or whatever, and Saul's talking to David. And he goes, you know what, you should marry my daughter which he didn't want him to marry his daughter. He was just saying that to trick him so that he could kill him. But what's amazing to me, my question is, why is David still there, right? Why is David even talking to him? He threw a spear at him the day before, right? I, mean, he's, I don't know if he's in a union or something, but that's gotta be against the rules, right? And so here's, he throws a spear, next day David got his lunchbox, shows up for work like nothing's wrong. Saul starts talking to him and he's still talking to Saul. In fact, when Saul says, you should marry my daughter, David doesn't say, I don't wanna marry your daughter, you're a psycho. Instead, David says, oh, I could never do that. You're the king, you know, I have to respect you, and I'm not important enough to marry your daughter. So somehow, still, David is trying to honor him. David is trying to make things better. Is that what you do? 
in your toxic relationships. They just keep trying to hurt you. They just keep trying to steal from you and take your life away from you and rob you of everything God has for you. And yet you're the one that just keeps bending and keeps trying to offer suggestions and keep coming back for more. Chapter 20, David asks a bunch of questions. He says, what is my crime? What have I done? I must have done something to make him this crazy. I must have done something to offend him this much. I must be at fault somehow for him to be this psychotic and against me. Do you ever do that in your toxic relationships? Well, it's probably my fault, you know. I bought the beer and then he got drunk and started hitting me. It's probably my fault because I'm, I'm sure I did something wrong. I'm sure I did something to offend. In chapter 21, David's got a chance to kill Saul and end this thing once and for all, but he doesn't. In fact, in that interchange, when David just had a chance to kill him, he addresses Saul and he calls him Saul, my Lord and King. The whole army of Israel is chasing him down to kill him, and yet David is still honoring him, and he says, I will never harm the king. So David was not an enemy of Saul. He was not an enemy of Israel. He, he tried everything, man. He tried taking the blame. He tried taking the high road. He tried waiting for Saul to change. He tried respecting him and honoring him and forgiving him. But for whatever reason, I don't know if it's like the demons that it talks about or his jealousy or his fear or anger or frustration. For some reason, Saul could never see who David really was. He could only see him. We talked about this last week. He could only see him as an enemy, and he couldn't see. David was a good dude, man. David was called by God. He was anointed to be the king of Israel. God had chosen him to be in the family line of Jesus. David was gonna be one of the most important characters in the story of the Bible, but Saul, he couldn't see that. But this is really important. David did see it. David did see who he was. David did realize that he had been called by God to do this amazing thing. He had been called by God to be this amazing person, and he knew that God had created him for a purpose. He wrote Psalm 139, right? That verse says, I'm wonderfully complex, and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. You knew every day of my life before I was even born. David knew that God had this incredible plan and purpose for his life. But for that purpose to be realized, for David to do the incredible stuff that God was calling him to, and for David to ever become this incredible person that God had created him to be, David had to do something really important. He had to stay alive. And God had called him to be king, to be this important, crucial character. But that wasn't gonna happen if Saul got to him, so David had to keep safe. David had to keep safe. And to do that, he had to take some crazy steps. Uh, the first step is he ran. Um, in chapter 21, he goes to the town of Nob. 
And then from there, he runs to the town of Gath. While he's in Gath, he was afraid they were gonna rat him out and give him over to Saul, and so he pretended he was insane as a distraction. He's barking like a dog and scratching the doors and drooling down his beard and all that stuff. So he finally gets out of that when he ends up hiding in some caves. He ends up in a town called Keilah. Chapter 24 talks about him just wandering in the wilderness. He is just running wherever he has to go to get away from Saul. Chapter 27, David goes to live with the Philistines for a while. How's that? He goes to live with the, that's the arch enemy, right? He go, they hate him, but he's safer there than he is with Saul. So David is just doing anything. And for years, Saul is chasing him down, and David is jumping through hoops and hiding behind rocks and going wherever he has to go to try to keep himself safe. And here's what I want us to really capture today. All of that effort, David running and hiding and jumping and going town to town and pretending he was crazy and going to live with the Philistines, all of that was David building like a buffer of protection, right? Like a boundary between him and Saul. That was all just David creating some space between him and Saul because David remembered that God had built him for this. In his mother's womb, he had created him for this. He had called him to do this important thing and he just, he couldn't let Saul stop that from happening. And for several years, that meant running away from Saul. So, cool story, right? But here's why I think it might matter in your toxic relationships, whether you're in the middle of one now or maybe one's gonna come up later. You gotta be like David. You gotta remember who you are. God has a calling on your life. God's created you with a purpose. And just like with David, just like he wrote in Psalm 139, even before you were born, God was knitting together all the wonderfully complex intricacies of who you were gonna be and what was gonna happen and how you were gonna grow and how he was gonna empower you and all the things that he called you to do as a parent, as a Jesus follower, as a friend, as a grandparent, as a neighbor, as a witness for the kingdom. God planned all of that before time began. Just like David, God has this incredible purpose for your life. But just like David, for that purpose to be realized, you gotta do something really important. You have to stay alive. You've gotta protect your life. You've gotta keep yourself safe. And if your toxic joy sucker is allowed to end your life or is allowed to ruin your life, you will never fulfill God's plan for your life. So of course, like David, you wanna do everything you can to forgive and repair the relationship and reconcile, but if your joy sucker is as relentless as Saul, that just may not be in your power. So of course we pray for a miracle and we pray for change, but we, it's, it's also really important that you don't die, right? It's really important that you don't let this person take your life away from you or, or stop your life from moving forward. So you gotta take steps, man. You gotta do something like David, maybe some crazy steps. You gotta take steps to, to, to just protect yourself and to protect the life that God has called you to. And in David's case, it was, it was literally him creating a boundary of space, just keeping distance between him and Saul. And man, that could be yours too. I mean, it's, it's not common. Um, most of the time when we talk about them taking your life away from you, I'm talking about them ruining your life or keeping your life from being joyful or rich or satisfying or abundant. But you may be in a situation that's literally physically 
dangerous for you. And in some instances, you can only keep yourself safe and you can only someday fulfill God's plan and purpose in your life by separating yourself, by creating some space between you and these toxic joy suckers. God does not call you to be a punching bag physically or emotionally or spiritually. And if you're in a situation that is literally abusive to the point that it's dangerous, David's story is in the Bible to teach you what to do. Run, get away from them, get out. Go to your parents' house, go to your friend's house, go to a hotel, go live with the Philistines, call the church, pretend you're crazy, scratch the door, bark like a dog, right? You drool down your beard, you do whatever it takes to keep yourself safe. That's gotta be first. You've got to be safe. You've gotta protect your life. But beyond just you know, breathing in and out, you gotta protect the life that God is calling you to. It's a life of rich, satisfying abundance. It's a life that is full of joy and passion and meaning and importance. And you gotta protect that life. And so in those situations, sometimes we need some other boundary, right? Maybe it's not literally staying on the other side of the planet from them and hiding in caves and not telling them where you are. Maybe you need some other kind of boundary. How many of you heard me use the word boundary before? Okay, those are the ones that have been awake for the last couple of years. Um, So if you haven't or if you're new, a boundary is an established line of what we will accept and what we won't, or an established line of what I am willing to do and what I'm not. Just think of it, I'm drawing this line. This is, this is what I will do, that's what I won't do. Right? This is what I will accept, and that is what I won't accept. That's, that's a boundary, and they only matter if you also identify and communicate what the consequences will be if the boundary is violated. Follow me? Go like this so I'll know to keep going. I'll talk all day. So this is my boundary. This is what I will do. This is what I won't do. If that's violated, if you ask me to do something besides that, something's gonna happen, right? This is what I will accept. This is what I won't accept. If you violate that boundary, then something, there's gonna be consequences to that. And so I'm just gonna say this. If you are in any relationship, how many of you are in some kind of relationship right now? It's a trick question. Everybody's in a relationship, right? If you are in any relationship right now. In fact, especially if you're in a toxic relationship right now, you must read this book, Boundaries. Henry Cloud and John Townsend, you must read that. If if you're in a toxic relationship, listen, if you're in any relationship, you must read that book. How many of you have heard me talk about that book before? How many it's been more than once? How many of you really deep down think I get some kind of kickback or something when they sell that book? I know, it's not, I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't, I, I don't. It's just, it's that, it's that important. It's that important. If you should read this book and you should set up boundaries and you should, you should tell people in your life, especially toxic people, look, this is the limit, man. This is what I'll do and that's what I won't. And this is what I'm willing to live with, and that, and that, and that, and that, I am not willing to live under those circumstances, and these are the consequences 
if those, those boundaries are violated. That's how a boundary works. Let me give you a really simple example, and I'm not comparing my situation to yours, because maybe your situation with your toxic people are way more toxic than this, but just so you can see how it works. I had a relationship for many years with a man named Jay, not Jay Clary. Jay is sitting back there, it's not you, Jay. It's another Jay, okay? And Jay and I did some business together, kind of a lot of business together, and we played golf together, and we did kids' sports stuff together and all that stuff. And so we spent a lot of time together. And Jay really disrespected me. Um, He knew, he used a lot of language that he knew I found offensive. And it's like he did it on purpose. And I didn't like the way that Jay talked about women. And so he would like intentionally do it to hurt me, to offend me, to disrespect me and, 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 and kind of put me down. And I talked to him about it, but I always had this idea that I was gonna win him over. You know, I always had this idea that I'm gonna be such a great impact on his life and he's gonna change. And then after a while, I just began to realize this is just toxic, man. It's not happening. Um, we would play golf and like he would like, he would like say some terrible words or whatever and he would go, sorry, Larry. Like he's mocking me, you know? And, and he would like tell a joke. Hey guys, let me tell you this hilarious joke. And, uh, oh, Larry, you won't like this one because you're Mr. You know, Goody Two-Shoes Christian or whatever. And so I, I had a very direct talk with him, and I said, man, I love you, and I want to have a relationship with you, and I'm okay if you make fun of me, but you don't mock my faith. That's, that's a boundary for me. So you want to make fun of my, the way I look, the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I act, the way I play golf, that's awesome. You do that. But if you mock my faith, we can't be friends anymore. I can still love you, but I'm not gonna be around that. I'm just not. And so I had this great talk with him, and guess what? A miracle happened. But it wasn't the miracle I thought. Because I thought the miracle was gonna be, he was gonna say, oh really, I'm sorry, I should change and accept Christ and become a wonderful Christian and be a good friend to you from now on. That's like the miracle I was picturing. Uh, And instead, um, he just kept doing it. And so at some point I had to say, okay, well then, That's it, we're not gonna be friends anymore. And the miracle was that God showed me that I could actually have a rich, satisfying, abundant, fulfilling life without Jay in it. So that's sad, right? That's a sad story. But it's not as sad as him ruining my life. It's not as sad as him keeping me from my purpose. You have to have boundaries in your relationships. And if people are so toxic that they can't honor those boundaries, I'm not saying kill them. I'm not saying kill them. (laughs) A couple people are like, oh shoot, they're scratching their notes out. No, I'm not saying kill them. I'm not saying hate them. I'm not saying cuss them. But you might have to separate yourself from them. Just because you love them doesn't mean you have to live with them. Just because you forgive them doesn't mean you have to follow them. Just because you're hoping to reconcile with them, that doesn't mean you have to be with them right now all the time on their terms. In fact, you, when you set and when you communicate these boundaries just to keep you safe, that could actually be the beginning of saving the relationship. That could have happened for me. Wouldn't that have been cool if Jay would have just said, oh wow, let's change, let's do this thing right now. That would have been, that would have been awesome. Maybe, and maybe you'll set the boundary um, with somebody and you'll communicate it and they'll change to accommodate your boundaries and, and you can detoxify the relationship. Or maybe you'll set the boundary and they won't honor it and you'll have to separate them 
you know, for, to some degree to fulfill God's purpose in your life. I don't know how it will go, but this is important. You need to, you need to hear this. If your relationship is really toxic, the only ch- chance you have at living the life God wants for you is to detoxify the relationship or get out of it. And both of those things start with boundaries. And I'm not trying to pass this off as something that's easy to do, because setting boundaries is hard, communicating the boundaries is harder, and then enforcing the boundaries is just brutal. But a cool thing does happen, and that is that you're giving a miracle an opportunity to take place. You're giving yourself a chance to see a miracle. So a couple of examples. Um, that's that you have a cheating spouse. That's your, that's, your, um, that's your toxic relationship. So you go to them and you say, look, this is, you know, this is where I'm at. Um, if you continue to see them, if you talk to them again, if you text them, if you have any communication with them, then I'm gone. That's it. Not mad, don't hate you. This is the way it is. And you know what? Maybe the miracle will be that they will repent. Maybe. Maybe they'll repent and, and, and God will do a miracle of forgiveness and restoration in your marriage. Or maybe they won't. And the miracle will be that God will show you that you can live a rich, satisfying, abundant life apart from them. But both of those miracles start with setting boundaries. You see that? You're giving a miracle a chance, you're giving two miracles a chance to happen. God gave you free will, you have to give them free will, right? And so we're gonna, we're gonna say, look, I'm setting before you life and death. Sound familiar? Choose life, man, this is life. This is what it likes, looks like to continue this relationship. This is death. This is what it looks like to not continue that relationship. I'm, I love you, I'm honoring you, you choose. These are my boundaries. That example make sense to you? Go like this, okay? Um, maybe your toxic joy sucker is a a spouse or a parent or a, a boyfriend or a friend that is abusive with you, physically, emotionally, whatever. Um, and so you go to that person, and, and here's the key. You set the boundaries. You set the boundaries. You, they don't have to make sense. They don't have to be fair. You set your boundaries. God's given you free will. You set your boundaries. You can go to them and say, look, here's the deal. You can yell at me, but you can't cuss. You can cuss at me, but you can't say that. You can say that, but you can't put your hands on me. You can say whatever you want to say. You're you're set. This is what I will accept, and that's what I won't accept. And now you've set the boundary, and you just say, if this happens again, this is the consequences of that. I'm leaving, or I'm calling the police, or I'm going to have my dad beat you up, or whatever it is, right? So maybe the miracle is that they stop hurting you. That'd be awesome. Or maybe the miracle is that they won't. And you'll leave and you'll find out that you didn't need them at all. Because your identity and who you were and the life that God has for you was not tied up in who they say you are. It's tied up in who God says you are. Two different potential miracles. And both of those miracles start when you set a boundary. Maybe your joy sucker is somebody that's pressuring you to do things that you think are wrong. They're always getting you in trouble. They're always asking you to do something that you think you're not supposed to do. So you set a boundary with them and you say, look, I'm not judging you. I don't, I don't hate you, man, I, 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 but I'm not doing that. 
this is what I will do. No, I'm not going to do. I don't hate you. I'm not mad at you. I, I want this to work. I hope we can detox this thing and have a great relationship that honors God and honors both of us. But if not, then I'm going to need to make some changes and create some space in our relationship. That's boundaries. Does anybody not understand what I mean when I say set boundaries and make sure that you explain the consequences? Does anybody not understand that? Okay, so there's a couple of ideas about this. Because um, these are like the pe people say, yeah, but, right? Yeah, my situation's, every, everybody feels some of that. Here's a couple of things about this. Number one, setting boundaries is not being hateful. It's not being disrespectful. It's not being manipulative. In fact, what it is, is you honoring your toxic joy sucker. Because you're saying to them, look, I'm giving you the choice. I'm going to honor you so much. I'm going to let you decide where we go from here. If you want to stay, if you want me to stay, that's great. Don't hit me anymore. Don't lie to me anymore. Don't steal from me anymore. Don't come home drunk anymore. If you, if, if you do that, then that's you telling me that you've chosen not to be part of my life anymore. I'm honoring, I'm not disrespecting you. I'm honoring you by giving you the choice. It's, it's, it's not being hateful or disrespectful or manipulative. And it's not giving up on them. It's not giving up on them. It's not even giving up on their relationship. In fact, it's actually a step towards detoxing the relationship so that it can continue and so that it can grow if that's, if that's what they choose. Setting boundaries is not preventing a miracle of reconciliation. Setting boundaries is giving a miracle a chance to happen. It's not giving up on them. It's not giving up on the relationship. It's giving the relationship a chance to experience a miracle of reconciliation. And I know kind of the big one, I think some people don't want to set boundaries because they are afraid of losing their relationship. It's like, man, what if, I have, what if they don't do it? You know, what if I end up having to put that space between us? Then what would my life look like without them or far from them? I mean, who would, who, what if I can't make it without them? I mean, who am I if I'm not Mrs. Whoever? Right? Who am I if I'm not Mr. Whoever? Who am I if I'm not their husband or their friend or their boyfriend or their girlfriend? Who am I if I'm not those things? And you know what? I bet that's exactly what David thought. Right? David had to make a really hard decision. I mean, think, David, he was living in a palace. Right? He was, he was like, I don't even know what, secretary of defense or something. He was a big deal. He was making a good living and living a great life and there, you know, everything was working for him and he had to leave that and go hide in caves the rest of his life. So it was hard for David to leave what he had and, and to, to actually live out the consequences of Saul's choices. But in the end, God provided everything David needed to live a rich, satisfying, abundant life and to fulfill God's purpose in his life. And as it turned out, David's life, you know, wasn't all about being tied to Saul. David's identity wasn't being a friend of Saul. David's identity was that he was a child of God. And your identity is not that you're part of this toxic relationship. That's not who you are. Irrespective of this relationship, who you are is who God says you are. And God says that you're a child of his, that you're created in his image. 
God says that you're his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10, read that verse, man. You're God's masterpiece. That he created you before time began. He decided these important, amazing things that he was calling you to do. God says you're the brother or sister of Jesus. That you're inspired by his example and you're led by his word and you're empowered by his spirit. God says you're part of the body of Christ with important purpose and a real calling from God on your life. And we can't let a toxic joy sucker get in the way of God's plan for you. Because your life and your calling and your purpose and your abundance and your joy is that important. Because you're that important. That's who God says you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just so much for your word, man. This, this story is, to me, so real. We see David in this toxic relationship that looks so much like a lot of our toxic relationships where we're trying and we're forgiving and we're bending and we're accepting the blame and we're doing everything we can to make it work, but this toxic joy sucker is just constantly trying to take our life away from us. And so, Lord, this is a hard one, but I just ask you to just empower us to see that just like we give them free will, we have free will. And we need to, you've got a call for us. You've got a calling on our life to be great parents or friends or witnesses for Jesus. You've got a big call on our life, just like you did with David. You've been planning this for us forever. And it's too big and it's too awesome and it's too important for us to let a toxic joy sucker take it away. So God, will you please just open our eyes and let us see the Saul's in our life as they really are? Or will you give us wisdom about what our boundaries should be and how to set them and how to communicate them and what the consequences should be? And then God, will you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, empower us to execute and to follow through with these consequences? Not so that we can win, not so that we can push them down or something like that, but so that we can experience the life that you have for us, a life of richness and joy and abundance and power, a life of miracles, a life of doing what you created us to do, a life of purpose. Lord, thank you for giving us purpose. Thank you for creating us to do something that matters. Thank you for showing us how to get there. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.